Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, today's episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Naked Warrior Recovery CBD is a Navy SEAL-owned CBD company owned by William Brandon, living out of Hawaii, living life. If you have tried CBD in the past and not given it a fair share, you might have taken crappy gas station CBD, uh, something with not the right ingredients in there. So you really have to make sure you're taking quality, which is exactly what Naked Warrior CBD is. So if you want to give it a go for anything from anxiety to helping with your sleep, with your appetite, inflammation to me, again, I say it all the time, it's been huge. A lot of those nagging aches and pains and injuries, if you consistently take CBD for 30, 60 days, you will see that all of a sudden you start to feel okay again. And those things just went away and you forgot about them. And you know, it's the kind of thing where when I'm taking it, I don't necessarily feel better, but then when I stop taking it or I run out, all those things come back and I realized how much it was actually helping me. So give it a go. Give it a real go for 30, 60 days. Take a quality product. If you want to get 20% off, go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links on that UFC under your affiliates. You can click there to get 20% off of any Naked Warrior Recovery product, whether it's shirts, uh, gummies, topicals, uh, gels, uh, drops. They have all kinds of different things in there and it's expanding all the time. Great tasting stuff. Um, really, really good, solid quality product. Code name A game for the promo code for 20% off. Check it out. Also, if you're interested in getting involved in real estate, let's talk. Email me podcast at nicknicknick.com or go on nicknicknick.com and uh, just look around at what some of the options are. If you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, and you're looking to get involved in real estate, whether just uh, buying some properties from us, selling some properties to us, partnering with some properties on us, definitely jump in there. And of course, if you're on Long Island, check out. Sarah Jiu-Jitsu for sure. Matt the Terra Sarah coming on today. Very excited about that. Uh, one of my heroes, one of my friends. Going to be a really great time. I'm really excited that he's given us some time to do it. Absolutely. If you can do Jiu-Jitsu anywhere, go and do it. But definitely if you're on Long Island, check out Sarah Jiu-Jitsu. It'll be the best decision you ever made. Stay tuned for Matt the Terra Sarah on the A-Game Podcast. All right. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is owner of Sarah BJJ. He's the first American black belt under Master Henzo Gracie, co-host of USC Unfiltered, co-star of Dana White's Looking for a Fight, former UFC welterweight champion, UFC Hall of Famer, amateur stand-up comedian, well, top-ranked VR player, that's Kimura Savage, father, husband, friend, sensei, Matt the Terracera. I'll tell you right now, you pretty much got everything. <laughs> I thought you were going to leave out Hall of... There's two things I didn't want you to leave out. That's Hall of Famer and ranked virtual reality, virtual reality <laughs> uh, video game player. I know that's a that. that's a huge feather in your cap, and I want to leave oh, that one out. Fuck yeah, it is, dude. I enjoy the shit out of that. That is Jimmy Norton doesn't give you enough credit for that, man. Is there that's something bullshit. wrong with a forty-six-year-old man fucking playing some video games? Not at all. You know. Uh, now listen. Now listen. People are gonna get confused. Your regular audience. I want you to ask because because I'm gonna be calling you Knuckles, and they're used to <laughs> people calling you Nick, and it's gonna be quite. I actually. I've been calling you knuckles so long. It takes me a second when people say Nick Lamagna. I'm like, wait, wait what? <laughs> so people call us and for people that don't know, uh, you know, in, in jujitsu academies, 
and you know, gyms and martial arts schools, you know, people, you know, affectionately get nicknames. So you a while ago, because of a horrible accident, uh, you know, you lost most of your hand, your left hand, it's your left hand. Yep. Good. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know how a sick nickname became Knuckles, but it became Nicky Knuckles because it kind of rhymed. And that's just what we do. But it was out of affection. And uh, here we are years, years later. And you're Jedi Knuckles. You're a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Would have been promoted earlier, but you traveling the world, doing your A-game podcast. So I just want your audience to know that if I'm calling you Knuckles, that not because you're a knucklehead or anything like that, but there's a story behind. Fair enough, man. And you can call me anything you want. And I was very, uh, very proud to get uh, promoted to black belt under Matt Serra. It's a huge accomplishment. It's probably one of my proudest achievements. And I'm really, uh, really happy and honored and privileged to carry that title. Thanks, buddy. Water seeks its own level. That's why we hang out. Today's episode is brought to you by Zions. I can't see see it. Bring it back. Uh, Bring it back or uh, forward. I see just the green. Put it oh. in front of your body. Maybe that'll work. There, there you go. go. There you go. Yeah. That's what you do. Is it really? Are you sponsored no. by them? No, no. I just thought oh, it would be funny to throw it in there. Yeah. You, well, you actually were. Science. It's your fault. I, I'm addicted to it. It's funny. Uh, if anybody sees him drinking that Zion, he got addicted to it. I was. A, they were a phenomenal sponsor. And it's not. It's a good drink. It's a very tasty soft drink. Uh, a sports drink. Uh, uh, pre-workout. Uh, energy drink, I should say. Uh, they were so great to me, Zions, because they picked me up after the Ultimate Fighter 4. No, I think it was after the Ultimate Fighter 4. Yeah, it was. It was and then they kept having me going for appearances. And I'll tell you right now, I think I, I stayed more on top ever since I dropped the gluten, mostly. I think I'm more on a regular, like, looking like myself on a regular basis, not just when there's a fight around. You know, you've been around me forever, Knuckles. I fluctuate. <laughs> I haven't been fluctuating as much. I've been better because my diet's more clean. Because, But I used to always get ready for a fight. And it's so grueling that afterwards, I'd kind of go off the rails because I have a problem with pizza and pasta, which is I have no problem at all with it. I love it. <laughs> so I would always blow up. And then Zions, who were phenomenal, you know, I, I, they, were, they, you know they booked me for appearances. And I would hate to go because I know I'd be chubby. So I'm like, what am I going to talk about? The fucking Zion's weight gainer? What am I doing here? <laughs> so it always, like, I was always like, oh, man, well, I, I'm going to ride this out because they give me money every month. And then, you know, and every time it was done, like two times in a row, they re-signed me. And I go, oh, shit. So I, I hated doing the appearances, not because I didn't want to see the people, but I was a fatty sometimes in between those. And I felt like <laughs> unworthy, if that makes sense. In, in your defense, a lot of the times when you were on there and Dana White was giving you shit, calling you fat Sarah or whatever, you'd come back and you like in person, you look big. You never look like heavy, you know, I, 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 I'm going to say I, like my wife says, I hold it well, yeah, you know, yeah. but I'm five, six. But listen, I get I got to hover around 200 pounds. And when I'm like around 200, anything more than 210. I know that sounds crazy because people are like, yo, didn't you fight at 155 or 170? But I never walked around my weight. I'd always walk around at least 190, even when I was in my best shape. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm a total fat ass now, like fighting at <laughs> heavyweight. But, you know, I'll, I'll show you my goddamn abs. What do you think of the Kimura Savage, like, retro shirt? I like it. Oh, I, I like did it. that. The green behind kind of 
That was cool. It actually made it look like you were at like a Studio 54 type of shit or something. That was cool. Sorry about the alarm in the background. The wife is taking the kids away. But all right. So listen, Knuckles. Oh, I like you to get the Team Sarah on. I like that. Knuckles, what made you start this podcast? Is this because I remember I saw uh, the the Bundy kid on here. Yeah, yeah. And I saw some other guys. Uh, What made you start this? This is about a real estate, this podcast, the A-game? You know, uh, I, I was going to do it about real estate. And then what I wound up doing, um, you know, I, I tell somebody's story, but Billy Grazia, shout out to him from Biohazard. He was doing a podcast with the guy from Hatebreed. And that guy, Jamie Josta, was talking about how the guy from Pantera had recently oh. died. And he was like, I don't get to like connect with a lot of my friends I used to tour with because they got their kids and their bands and everybody's on the road. He's like, so I started doing a podcast and just interviewing a lot of my friends in the business and it allowed me okay. to reconnect with them. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, you know, and I think it's cool because like even, you know, you get like a, I had like truck and raging Alon or even you, like, it's like, you know, nice. you get to talk in between rounds or a little bit here and there at the gym, but you don't get to like sit down and really talk one-on-one for an hour with somebody. So I just thought it was a cool way to keep in touch with everybody while I was on the road. And, and that's true. Cause you're always on the road, man. You are just a world traveler. I see you Hawaii and everywhere views from the hotel room. Does that get lonely? I mean, I'm yes. switching this on you. You just down. No. <laughs> Does it this does, get you lonely? Know? Your audience wants to know, Knuckles. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, everything I think is is the grass is always greener and feast and famine. So like when I was doing it and I was getting out every weekend, it was cool because I got to go train and see different places and eat different food, but it definitely got lonely and I missed home and I, you know, I missed the jujitsu crew and my dog. But now that we have freaking COVID and I really haven't gone anywhere since February, now I'm kind of like, man, I could really use a hotel on a plane ride right now, you know? So it's, yeah, got to find but that I balance. Find- yeah, the balance is important. That's what I find most important. Like, uh, you know, I'm a homebody. I really am. Like, the only time you see me really out doing, I'm the, I, I love, I have three jobs. All right. I got my schools, school, I should say now, thanks to COVID. But which is full, which is cool. As long as I have a, a home for my people. I got my school in Huntington, Long Island. Beautiful school. Uh, 12,000 square foot. I love my jujitsu school. And again, I love it because it's, it didn't just appear. It's, it's a, it's a, a sign of my, of my journey. You know what I mean? It's it, that's what I wanted for my retirement. If I had nothing else at all, the show with Dana, the thing I do with Jimmy, the, the podcast, if I just had my school, that to me would always be enough. I feel, you know, but as far as retirement, cause it's what I, it's my pleasure. It's what I like to do. I was there this morning at 7 a.m. teaching, supposedly, might not even be open. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly <laughs> I could have been there this morning. Allegedly, I'm going back tonight. But it's <laughs> what I like to do besides, of course, hang out with my family. And again, we were talking about balance. I am extremely fortunate, okay? Not that it's not deserving and whatever, because that could come next from whoever. I'm just saying, like, I'm extremely fortunate because... And I talk about this with my buddy, Dean Thomas, who does the show with me with Dana a lot. The Dana White, both looking for a fight or Dana White looking forward to a fight, which we've been doing over in Abu Dhabi. The new episode just dropped. It's hysterical. Find that on YouTube. But, uh, you know, I've seen guys come in the game way after me and leave way before. And nobody knows their names and they are as tough as they come. So it's like, you know, yes, they have some, 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 some videos or articles they can show their kids. So it's not useless, but I don't know. Somehow, some way, Knuckles, 
Myself, Ray Longo, Dean Thomas are still relevant. See, I throw them in there too because they're still <laughs> out there. So I don't know what it is, but hey, man, I'm digging it because I got three kids, so I could use it. Yeah, I love that, man. And that, that's part of this stuff. I got some questions and stuff I definitely wanted to hit you with. But the Go ahead. You know, part I'm of that was, too was much. definitely I'm on your- I'm trying to, I'm not, I shouldn't be leading this dance. No, Go no, ahead. you're good, man. Whatever man, you got. You're a Seal Hall of Famer. You get to do whatever you want, man. You call the shots. But uh, yeah. no, but I, I feel like your, your appreciation and your gratitude for stuff is the reason why you get more and more stuff in there. I mean, Longo talks about it all the time with you too. He's like, man, he's, he's very happy with, with everything he's done. He's very content in who he is. And you know, every, everybody that knows you loves you. So I'm not surprised not that you have all, well, you know, anybody who really, my knows friend, you. My, my, yeah, my people. Yeah. But uh, you know, th- there's a backstory that I think a lot of people don't know. I, I've heard you tell it a couple of different times, but I, I'm, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And I, I don't, I, I mentioned you, Almost every episode in some positive way, obviously, on, nice. this, on this. But, um, you know, I talk about your chain of events and how if this didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and, it's weird you know, the that. whole thing with Abu Dhabi and, you know, the Carroll fight. Can you tell that that story a little bit about how you were, I, you were supposed to be into the in the Marine Corps, right, at one point, And then everything happened with the street fight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in 1992, I was in something called the Delay Entry Program in the Marines, for the Marines. It was something called, like... At 17, your parents got to sign something that you could kind of like go a little early into the uh, into the, uh, the the armed services there, into the military. I was, at 1992, you got to understand, it was a different time. There was no MMA. It came out a year later. Uh, so when you're about to graduate from high school in 1992, and, you know, I was a tough guy. I wasn't much of a student at all. I wasn't really great in school at all. I, I just... I just had no temperament for sitting in a classroom. We just, I just don't give a shit. About it. I, just didn't <laughs> want to, I don't think it's that I was dumb. It's just that I was like, oh, you know? So, you know, I was barely getting through. And then uh, I'm like, yo, I don't want to go to more school after this. I don't want to go to college. I knew I was a fighter, not a, not a, a, a troublemaker, but I knew I, you know, I could fight even raw. I knew I had something toughest kid in high school type of thing, whatever. And uh, I go, look, man, I'm going to go into the Marines. I'm going to be, I'm going to take this, you know, tough guy thing and take it to the, a, a professional level. Like I want to go Marine recon. I was looking at all the different ones. I go, this sounds bad as the recon guys. I want to do that. So that was going to be my goal. So I was jogging with the Marines and Eisenhower Park on the weekends over here on Long Island, studying the, um, the, the entry exam and you know that that was I was kind of that's the route I was going to go okay so fast forward I, I used to deliver pizzas at this place Pizza Amore around the block from my house growing up you know excuse me so then uh, I was there one night and I dated this girl for a little bit right I was dating this my, my high school girlfriend she went to another high school she was a town over and uh she had a best friend all right. Her best friend, Maria, had an older brother and the older brother. I didn't get along with the guy. He wasn't a great guy. I didn't like uh, he didn't treat his sister very well. He was a, a little abusive. He was a he was a douchebag. A long, a, your typical tank top, white, tight, white tank top, gold Guido douchebag. I mean, he was a Long Island douchebag. This guy. I never liked him. Juice head, big guy. So I was 17. He was a couple of years older than me. And I knew him because he, they lived on the same block as my girlfriend in Belmore. And any interaction I had with the guy, which wasn't a lot, 
I'd be at that house, just whatever. Cause my girlfriend was there and Hey Mike, what's up? He'd just give you one of those looks and look away. Like he was a dick. Okay. So I knew I didn't like the guy, whatever. I called up looking for my girlfriend. I'll try to make it a little quicker how it happened. And he got on the phone. He, I called this house looking for, you know, his sister to find my girlfriend. And we got into a little argument, but just a little something. But he, he didn't like the way I was talking. I asked for, I don't know what it was, but, you know, basically it was me telling him to go fuck himself and him having a roid rage and saying he's going to find me. So whatever. So I hung up, didn't think much of it. A couple hours later, we went to close up. And my girlfriend at the time came over. This is before cell phones and shit, you know. She arrived crying with her friend, which was his sister. Oh, my God. They got three carloads of car. Of car. They're in three cars. And there's a bunch of them. And they're looking for you. I think they got bats. And nah, nah, nah. it's one of those things. You know, we were young. You know, and it was some drama. I go, look, don't worry. Get out of here. We're locking up soon anyway. I told my boss we might have company. He goes, don't worry. We're locking up. They left. We're locking up the pizzeria and then sure enough three cars three cars come by they park off and now you got to right off to the side you saw i'm like oh here we go you know and it was me and my my pizzeria boss this guy nick big heavy set italian guy nice funny hysterical guy uh so it was me and him and they start coming running over a gang of them anywhere from 10 to 13 guys there was a bunch of them. uh and you know he's in the front and he, and he looked at he had the devil in his eye. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you. This is over bullshit. When I mean bullshit, this is over nothing. This is over this guy just wanting to get into a fight now. Because this is, it wasn't nothing personal. It was a, a little this and that. I figured I'd run into him sooner or later. But I did not expect all this. But it's all, you know, my boss was like, all right, keep it, keep it one-on-one. And I guess, and they did. They, 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 they let us go. We went in the middle. And, you know, again, I, I got into my share of fights. So I wasn't, I was in the moment, you know, I wasn't, and, uh, and, and you know, he, again, he, he, I didn't know any jujitsu back then, but I did Wing Chun with my father. And the problem with Wing Chun is it's a lot of trapping and chain punches, and it, it's not as effective as Western boxing as far as striking or Muay Thai. It's not, I don't give a fuck. I, Tony Ferguson might throw it in his thing with a wooden dummy. I know, uh. Tony Stark, fucking Robert Downey Jr. loves that. It's it's fun. I play. I do sticky hands with my kids, but for for combat, for self defense, for real fighting, it's not the best. You can add it in, great, but it's not the best by itself. So I hit him with a chain punch, which is like something like this, right? So I'm bop, and then he just boom grabbed my neck, and he was we would cheek the cheek, and he was squeezing the fucking life out of me. I, now as a jujitsu man, I have other. I had I'd have other options. You know, but at the time, I didn't even know that the, the this grip he had was on my neck and it wasn't exactly on my, my, it was a more of a headlock. So, but you don't know as a kid, like you don't know what puts you to sleep, what doesn't. All I know is he's saying, he's going to kill me and he's squeezing my neck and we would cheek to cheek like this facing each other. And he had me like this. So, you know where this is going. I ended up biting his ear. And for the people that don't know, or the guys that maybe take jujitsu class, they think it's cool to maybe try it out. And, and on a bar on the weekend, this should be a lesson for them because, and I tell my students all the time, don't you want to try something out, jump in a grappling tournament, do an MMA fight. Like your audience, Nikki knuckles did. I love that fight. I remember that fight. You fucking kicked ass knuckles. You had how many amateur fights? Just uh, f- five. Oh, fuck five. Of course you do. It was a while away. In my defense, it was like 15 years ago. 
It was. You had other stuff going on. It was right around your uh, your. Yeah, but you were scrapping, Knuckles. You're are you you're five and zero, oh, correct? No, no, no. But we, you, hey, we don't have to talk about my record. <laughs> I want a Nikki. No, they don't. But they see you as a nice guy, and they don't know that you used to scrap. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was scrapping. No, no championship belts or UFC Hall right. of Famers. Or but anything. listen, anybody listening, this guy could fucking strangle somebody twice his size three times. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the ear came off, and it came off fast. It's not like I was sitting there like nibbling on the thing. The guy had me by the neck. I got his head. Boom. The ear is off. Okay. So I flip him. I punch him in the face. Nose busted. They fucking check me. And I go tumbling into the parking lot. My pizzeria boss jumps in there. No, it was even. Somebody hits him, one of his buddies. He's got a broken nose. He's down. I get up. They're gone. Everybody grabs him. His brother was there too. They grab his ear. They go, they take off. So I'm sitting here. I got blood on me, not a mark on me. My boss got a broken nose. It's a fucking disaster. All right. So the cops come. I explain to them what happened, like this and that. Thing. All right, look. And, and this and thank God it was my place of business. Okay. Like where I was working. Otherwise, it could have definitely would have ended differently with the severity of his, his injuries. So I go, look, and my father was on the job. You know, my father. Uh he, he worked in the city as a, as a police officer and he was retired now. And he'd always tell me, look, if you get into a street situation, press charges first, you could drop them later, but you don't want to be the guy, you know, defending yourself if the guy presses charges first, that type of thing. So put the complaint in first. If something happens, the cops come. So I go, look, this guy came to my place of business, wanted to fight me, attack me, said he was going to kill me, had me in a headlock and yada, yada. And they go, okay, get in the cop car. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. Take me to the hospital. And then they put the cuffs on me. They go, look, we got to take you to this station. You don't got a, a mark on you. Is there anything wrong with you? And I'm like, ah, you know, what am I going to say? My fucking jaw hurts from nibbling on this guy. I go, <laughs> look, I go, no. I go, but I had to defend myself. They go, all right, well, right now we're going to the station because you know, this guy's got no ear. Okay. Literally no ear. And, uh, you know, so that I go there. My parents were at a wedding. They had to find them. I spent the night in the, in the, in the cell. Next day, get arraigned. And, uh, you know, I, I, what happened was the original charge was a felony. I ended up pleading guilty to a class A misdemeanor. And I tried to get a youthful offender, which I'll tell you about afterwards, which I thought that, that if anybody asked me if I ever got arrested, I could, I could legitimately say no. It's supposed to be a sealed file. Remember that. That's going to come up <laughs> later because that's fucking bullshit so anyway so you know i'm thinking about my life now so i'm like all right i, I meet with my little uh my little guy from georgia he's uh from down south this uh my recruiter i got his name but what uh he was a little little hillbilly guy but i liked him he used to always be he was always that saying it's not the size of a dog in a fight it's the size of a fight in a dog that type of shit but he was a nice southern boy you know so he saw me and he liked me you know and he goes, well, Matt, he goes, you know, I got my superiors and the original charge was a felony. So my hands are tied. But I'll tell you what, Mr. Sarah, I would be in a foxhole with you any day. <laughs> that's what he said to me. So I go, ah, that's fucking great. But when I get out, I'm not going to a foxhole. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Because I go, that was my, that was it. Any of the tough guys, I look back when I was younger and I'm like, yo, I'm looking at the guys who kind of like me. That didn't go to college. And I don't like the way they all turned out. Who's in jail? Who's fucking dead? I wouldn't go that route with the fucking drugs or whatever. But 
they were fucked up. So now that this closed, you know, I was concerned about my path. I was kind of lost, you know? So my father, who was a lifelong martial artist, found these tapes of the Gracies called Gracie in Action. And it was the Gracie family. Before Miss Martial Arts, it was the Gracie family versus other styles. And, and I seen that. And I go, this jujitsu stuff's amazing. This, I go, I consider myself a tough guy, but if I fight one of these little skinny Brazilians, I go, and I can't get them off me. I mean, these guys are getting mounted and just beat up. And again, you gotta understand, if you're when you're watching this in 1992, you're not see, you're not used to seeing real fights. You're used to thinking everybody didn't really know what worked, uh, like really, like a karate man. Well, this karate class. You go this way, that guy could break your knee with this, he says, or punch, punch in the throat. You got these guys over here saying the, uh, the fucking, the wrestlers are like, ah, oh, I could, I like, it was, you didn't know it really worked. He's looking on the, on, on the action movies, like, wow, look at Jeff Speakman. What is that shit? Look at a fucking, look at fucking Stephen's like, oh man, does that work? It looks badass. You didn't know what the fuck worked. You just didn't until I saw these tapes where it was, it was raw and it was real whether it was grainy VHS or whatever these fights, I'm watching real fights and I was so intrigued. I, the biggest thing that, that kind of irked me was I go, I cannot, I cannot deal with knowing that there's some people on this planet that just have this, this ability to just do what they want with me. Cause I thought I was a tough kid and I was a tough kid, but I didn't know anything as far as fighting like to that degree, you know? So I go, look, man, I got to learn that shit. That summer, Waterbury, Connecticut, Horion and Hoist Gracie did a seminar in Waterbury, Connecticut. And this guy, Ron Kalowski or something. Ron Kalowski, he's a Jeet Kune guy. He he was out of a a gymnasium out of some school. And I took a road trip with my buddy and we uh, attended that seminar. David Adiv was there. He was, um, he's a Mickey Gall's trainer. He's a black belt now as well in the Hoyler Gracie. And, uh, I met him for the first time and it was my first time ever taking a class. And I wasn't, and, and unlike other martial arts, I'm like, wait a minute, there's no fucking forms. There's it's all about like that. We did mount drills. We did escaping. I'm like, it's about getting a superior position where a guy can't get out and beat them up. Or it's about taking a limb and breaking it. I go, this is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> this is amazing. This is everything I've been wanting. It's no bullshit at all. I'm like, holy shit. I was thinking about moving to Cali. I didn't know what to do. I go, but I'm learning this. That was my goal. And then I found uh, shortly after that, within a year or so, Craig Kukuk, Henzo, he was, he was trained by the, the Gracies and Torrance, went to Brazil, got his black belt, then had a falling out with that side of the family, partnered up with Henzo Gracie, who now is like family to me. And, but he's the one that was involved. Like, in other words, he partnered up with Henzo. They did a video series. And then, uh, you know, eventually Henzo came to New York a couple of years later. So Henzo, Craig Kukuk started teaching Manhattan in Manhattan. He was from New Jersey. Started, and again, at this time, now there's jujitsu like schools on every corner. But back in 1990, I'd say four, there was nobody. There was, there was nothing. There was uh, in Philly in the East Coast, there was uh, Steve Maxwell, who was in line with the Torrance crew, which was Ori and Gracie Hoyce and them. And, uh, you know, then there was this guy, Craig Kukuk, who was kind of like kicked out of the family there. It wasn't, <laughs> but I already knew he was a black belt. So I knew they couldn't take that skill away from the guy. I didn't know about his character. I was a kid. 
And uh, so I started learning. I was a good teacher. And I started learning the basics. And I got my blue belt on the end. And I traveled into the city from Long Island. And we were at this Oshi's Judo Club downtown in the village. And uh, I loved it. And it started one day a week. And then ultimately, he got to a point of three days a week he was teaching in the city. I'd be there for all three days. And then to get an extra day, I would drive to Red Bank, New Jersey from Long Island. Like, as you know, it's around, it's a little under three hours, like two and a half hours, whatever it is, just for an hour private lesson, just to learn this shit. So, you know, I was, I was off to the races. Should then, long story, long stories, all this fucking, I can't make it short now, it's long. <laughs> Henzo came over a couple of years later, took me under his wing, got me out of the shitty job I was doing to fucking be there because I was tired all day, working all night. And took me under his wing. Him and Craig had a split up. Hensel was the better person. And better jujitsu man. But more importantly, the better person that I connected with. And uh, I went with Henzo. And now I'm talking to you on the fucking A game. I'm, I made it. I fucking made it. <laughs> so all of that, you know, I, I relate to it a lot because I was trying to be an air, an air marshal and do all this criminal justice stuff. And then I hurt my hand and then they wouldn't take me. And then I was like, what you the hell You were also a magician, a musician. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I was. It had to be fucking hard for you. How did, I mean, how, that, that's a devastating thing, but now, but you made it work. Which is exactly what you did. That, that's why I liked, uh, I think that's probably why we click, you know, it's just, why uh, we hang out. yeah, taking the positive out of it. And you know, I've, I've heard you talk about that chain of events, how now, like you couldn't do that. So you got into the jujitsu and then you wound up going out to pride and then that thing happened at pride and then you wound up going out with Dobby and yeah. you know, e even talking for Carol, like the way, you know, that didn't go you the way you wanted to, but you learned how oh, to yeah. take a step back and relax. And then that paid off in the St. Pierre fight. So all those experiences of learning, you know, that it sets up things as you take those lessons. Is that something that's helping you with all the guys like Al Jermaine and, and uh, Al and Wyman and all these guys now? Cause you've, you've literally been through those experiences and learned how to take the positive from them. Well, yeah, like, listen, there was times I was backstage with both those guys. You just said Aljo and Weidman. I was backstage with them both. And after hard, hard fights where it didn't go their way, where they're upset, where you're, they're upset to the point with, where I'll just say they were upset. And I, I, I related to that. And I know the hurt they feel. It's the worst feeling. You had a guy like Aljo at one point dropped two in a row and I'm just, you know, I'm backstage just hugging the guy, you know, because you end up really caring for the guys after a while. Like, because you get the shoot, man, Aljo came at like 24 when he was with us. Now the guy's 30 or something, 31, 31 now. So like you see them grow. And, and as far as Chris, you know, the guy when he's doesn't even have any kids. And now he's like got a family. Like you just become like family, you know? So when they take that loss, it's like really hard. And, you know, myself and Ray Longo, we don't have contracts with these guys. They throw stuff. They, they're more than great with us. They throw, they kick back and this and that, but it's all in them. They want to, like, we don't, we're, we're probably the only guys that do that. And I'm not shitting on guys that have contracts because I got other gigs and I can understand people got to eat, but it's different. It's, it's, I mean, in a way where it's just, it's coming from a good place all around. Like, we just want these guys to succeed. That's it. It's not about me putting my face. I, I'm sick of my face as it is. I don't need my face in the corner with my fucking loud mouth. But, you know, we genuinely want these guys to do well. And, and so we take our experiences, but I say Ray also in this, because he's been, you know, he's been there a thousand, thousands of times. And I know what it's like to even drop a couple in a row, you know, and then to see these guys like you take Aljo, 
And I remember that second fight when he lost, and I remember being backstage with him and just the why of it. And it's just, dude, it's 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 kind of gut, it's kind of gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. And I'm like, this guy is too good to be dropping two in a row. He's too fucking good. He could be the next champ. I remember just thinking it like, fuck, how can we make this better? And uh, and that and it really it listen, as much as I can share my experiences with them and try to. You know, sometimes there's nothing to say. It's just you're just sitting there with them in in, in in misery, just trying to be there for them. But then you look at them and and how they they rise up. How Aljo went from doing that, and then he had to come back and fight an undefeated fighter. He's already doing. He's he's, he's the Pikey, that fucking guy. He was from a Welsh guy, tough tough kid, undefeated. So now he's Aljo has got to go and fight a guy that never felt defeat, has confidence, has to be through the roof. And now Aljo's confidence could be on shaky, shaky legs here. Who knows, man? Look, he's coming off two losses, questioning himself. And he has, there's a certain point where, like, I, like something I'll bring up sometimes is like, I remember I was stressed after my debut a little because, you know, I lost to Shawnee Carter and I was winning. I, I was arguably winning the fight. It was all over the place. I, I didn't know how to really, before that, I only had fights that ended in the first round locally because I smoked everybody with jujitsu. So I wasn't used to a guy talking about experience. The guy had a hundred fights to my eight. So, <laughs> you know, the guy was Mr. International was his nickname. Slippery, slimy. He was a veteran. He knew how to play the rules. And I didn't. I treated everything like a street fight. I just kept my foot on the gas. Learned so much in that fight, but I ended up losing. And then I had to fight again. I had to lose with a, a spinning back fist. So everybody's shitting on my striking coach, Ray Longo. Everybody's. Saying, oh, he's phenomenal in jiu-jitsu, but he can't fucking break an egg. I mean, this was all said and and and, and out there, you know. That clip was, you'll still, still see that clip today. So then I had to go back and fight uh Eve Edwards. And uh it was, it was, and now I'm like, this guy is an even more dangerous striker. They called him the dentist back then because he used to rearrange teeth. I remember he fought this guy, this guy, um Aaron Riley, and just fucked up his mouth with, with knees. So I remember starting getting stressed about it and like, like, why am I even doing, why am I doing this? I, I'm, I'm obviously not enjoying this. I'm stressed, fucking stressed. And then, and this might be a little too fucking deep, but it is true. I ended up having that fight late. It was late, late September, 2001. So it was right after 9-11. So I'm sitting here stressed getting ready for this fight. And then you see that happen. And now I'm like, look, what am I, what's going on here? Why am I, what am I doing to myself? In a sense, I already made it. I made it to the big show. I like to fight. I love to fight. What the fuck's the problem? Enjoy that. Make, let that be enough. Don't think of the outcome. Don't think of what, it, don't let the what ifs creep in. If the, what if I get in there and I get stopped again? I'm a fucking laughing stop. I'm, I should never have been there in the first place. I, you just end up questioning yourself. Instead of saying, all right, the worst going to happen, what could be the worst that could happen? I fucking go in there and I do get stomped again while I'm trying, trying uh, violently to win. Is that the worst thing that could fucking possibly happen? I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to go in there and be an easy fucking match for anybody. That's the, I started to develop and I, I'm like, that's the worst that could happen. There's people jumping out of fucking windows and a skyscraper. And I'm, I almost felt like ashamed that I, was, that I was putting so much on it. I go, what the fuck? I go, fuck that. I like, let's keep it simple. And not to mention, then I saw Eve actually talking some shit. So I go, all right, I'm back. <laughs> so anyway, you got to keep things in perspective, you know? So for Aljo, 
And uh, not just Aljo, my other guys as well. But I'm saying Aljo lately because right now he's going to have a title shot coming up. And so warranted, so warranted. He had to, he had to, it's, he, his path is his path alone. He dropped a couple of fights that were definitely winnable fights. And he goes back, fights those two guys now. I don't even think it's competitive. Agree. You know? Sansau, uh, Brian. Caraway. Caraway. Uh, they're not on his level. And I'm saying that with respect because I like those guys. Um, Aljo, you know, had to come back from that. And now he's just funk master 2.0. He knows. He just, he sees it. He puts the work in. And uh, I couldn't be prouder of somebody. You know what I mean? So if I could help in any way with that, that's awesome. You know, that's great. You, you know? do, man. You, everybody can definitely see that you care about your fighters and the advice that you give is never like some of the guys like, you know, I saw what, what happened with uh, Diego's guy and all that. But some guys, it seems like what they're doing is for them, not for their fighters. And I feel like everything that you and Longo say to all of us is it comes off very genuine. Like it's, it's for us, not for them. And I think that's a big deal. I think people sense that in you. You know, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned your dad. Your dad has always been so nice to me. I took so many classes with him when I was yeah. a white belt and a blue belt. So shout out to beast. him. But I was yeah. going to relay that into the next thing about how did you wind up getting such a strong self-belief? Because, uh, you know, I'm sure people know, but you knocked out Frank Trigg. You knocked <laughs> out George St. Pierre yeah. and, uh, you know, welterweight champion, one of the uh, alleged biggest upsets ever. But, you know, you had a lot of people that were betting on you that were in your corner. But I remember Longo saying, um, I went out, I was at your fight. I think your first, the first UFC fight I ever went to, I think was you versus Chris Lattle for the finale of oh, the Ultimate wow. Fighter. So wow. I was out there. I had maybe only been training with you for a few months. Oh, wow. I remember then I went out to the next one and uh, Longo was talking about, he was like, man, there's just nobody that I know that when they're like, you know what, St. Pierre, Canada, 22,000 people screaming for him said, he's like, where the fuck do I sign? Like just doesn't care. So how did you go from like, how do you get such great self-confidence in, in what you do? Uh, I think it comes from the, listen, at the end of the day with what I've done, it, it was a fight. So, you know, you, you got to just keep it simple when it comes to that. Like nowadays this, like I believed in, I believed in my guys around me specifically uh, Longo, Mr. Henzo also, Henzo Gracie. You know, he would always relay his knowledge and his his experience from fighting. Not to mention, let me add that, you know, as a early in my early 20s, as a purple belt, no named, you know, no name at all. You know, Henzo took me to Japan to corner him. He put that kind of faith in me. Like, the, I'm like, yo, yeah, you don't want you don't want what is, is, is high and busy? What the fuck? Like, are you sure you want me to? You know, how, where's he? I go, you know, he bring me into Carl Almeida, but he did it to like show us what's going on behind, behind the state. Like, he, I mean, this is part of the problem when guys get to the big show. It's the, the it's not the fight itself. Cause it's all, it's a fight. That's all it is. It's the production. It's the nervousness of the energy of the people around you. And you go from fighting locally and you, you basically get to that cage whenever you want. And things are pretty loose, whatever. You know, it's, but now you got a camera in your face. You got the people yelling, you're on in five. All right, after this fight, you're walking in three. Sarah, you're on. All right, show time. And you feel the, it's like, yo, fuck. It's overwhelming for people. I had such tunnel vision my first fight. I don't even, it was so weird. And then as you go on, you end up ex enjoying the experience of, like in my 30s, I enjoyed walking out to the fight. One of the first times I ever, 
was smiling to the cage and walking was probably my George St. Pierre fight. Every other fight, you don't see me smiling. It was more of a street fight mentality. I still had that mentality, but I ended up from the experiences. And also in your 30s, you start realizing you're not going to do it forever. I enjoyed the walkout. I enjoyed every bit of it. You know what I mean? Where in the past, it was kind of just me sprinting to the fucking cage. You know? So experience brings a lot. And, you know, there was only a couple of fights that I didn't feel really prepared for as far as conditioning. And, and I'm not going to get into those, but they'll show where, if you've seen the fight where it's like, fuck. Because I don't normally get tired. Part of it's probably due to some of the guys I fought. But, you know, when I have a good camp and I went long ago and he had me running the fucking hills and I just felt like a monster, dude. It got to the point where I would keep it this simple. And I tell this to Aljo. I tell this to my guys. I don't think about what this dude's going to do to me. Like, I'm thinking this guy's got a, this guy's facing me. So he's definitely, he's definitely, I'm, I'm not getting out of there easy. You know what I mean? So this guy's got a, he's got his hands full because I'm going to look to fucking take his arms off. And I also, I was blessed with heavy hands. So I knew I was like, you know, a formidable opponent. So that type of thing, like, fuck him. He's got to deal with me. I don't care what he's bringing that type of thing. And the George thing, the St. Pierre thing, I, you know, I was kind of made for that underdog role because up until that point, you know, I understand why George, everybody picked against me against with George St. Pierre. I understand it. And I never take any offense to it. Um, I was known as a jujitsu man. I showed maybe some power with my Carol fight and whatnot, but nobody ever expected me just to stand up with him and have that kind of strategy. Ray Longo instilled it in me. He goes, look, look what you're doing with the 16 ounce gloves. And if you hit, like you hit Danny the other night, you hit the, you hit him with the, like you hit, you with the fucking four ounce gloves, you hit George's noggin, the way you hit the guy the other night, what do you think is going to happen to him? A lot of that kind of talk, you know what I mean? Where it really was like, look, man, I have to go for broke. And that alone excited me. So, you know, you know, then, then it worked out well, obviously. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and your, your words often ring in my ear because I remember a bunch of times you kept just turning around to the gym and being like, you don't want to have any regrets when you're on the rocking chair. I'm like, I always that's think true. about when I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. Like, I don't want to have any regrets. And that's always something that like pushes me and drives me. And I, I always think about that stuff. You know, and um, t- talking about jujitsu, I love that you're a, a proponent of jujitsu in general. You know, I always hear you saying, like, even if you're not in Long Island, like, just go train somewhere. And watching what What's what it's done for me and what that gym and you have done for me over the years and watching what it's done for other people. Like, you know, you see Maria Jose, you know, female oh. black belt and watching, you know, your daughters are training, your wife trains, yeah. being able to see how it can give women confidence that they can protect themselves if they get into some situation and watch how it's given confidence to guys like Sean Cooper, um, Josh Goldschlager, my brother who was bullied his whole life. And now he's got this whole new circle of friends around him. Oh, I love your brother, Danny. Everybody loves your brother. I got to talk to your parents. And if I ever am having a, your parents did something right, Nikki Knuckles. I'll tell you right now, because it's one thing if you're just a good dude, but your brother, Danny, who's a great musician, what is, who's he playing for now with the band? He's a, yeah, he's a drummer. Yeah. Say it yeah. again. Where does he play? Bro McKenzie's. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught 
tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson. He's such a great guy. Even my wife is like, oh, they're so nice. <laughs> and his brother too is so, I mean, you guys really are great guys. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Why I'm doing this. Uh, guys ask me to do the podcast. I go, dude, guys, no, <laughs> I, I'm done talking. <laughs> I talk enough. But, yeah, uh, but, but by the way, let me, I, I felt bad. I heard you saying on your podcast, you're like, Frank has got a podcast and you never asked me to do it. And then immediately I was like, I hope he doesn't think I did. I, I just didn't want to bother you, but I always was like, man, hey, I, love that, man. I saw you hanging out with fucking, I was about to say Ted Bundy. It's not fucking Ted <laughs> Bundy. It's fucking Bud Bundy and fucking whoever else. Oh, by the way, that, was, that show he did, fucking, what was it? Uh, starving. 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 Yeah. That was fucking hysterical. Very politically <laughs> incorrect. It's probably not going to last. Now, they probably fucking got it off now, but it was. They did. They buried it. That's fucked up. Everybody's, everybody's got to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Take a day I thought off. that was very funny, that show. He, and he, he, had, he had another guy, Parker Lewis can't lose was on that fucking thing. I, nobody remembers that show. Kubiak, I, don't, I, don't I don't even remember it, but I remember he was on there playing a guy that nobody remembered. It was yeah. just like, dude, <laughs> come on, man. Can everybody just lighten up a little bit? You know? I love it. But where where do you uh what do you attribute that good energy for? Because everybody that meets you says that your energy is infectious. And you know, I like you said, even though jujitsu's gotten so big right now, when I travel there's still a lot of places that you only get schools that you can train three or four times a week. A lot of the instructors have day jobs. You can't train during the day. It's 630 when they get out of work. So I always felt very lucky to be able to, I mean, almost 24 hours a day within reason, you know, the 6am and 9am at 12pm or 5pm. But there's times that I would go there at 6am and I'm staying for the morning class and we're yeah. listening to you tell jokes and bullshitting with Rage and Al and all these guys until 12 and then you're staying for the 12 to two class with pool guy. You could stay there all day and meet some of yeah. the best people. Like just everybody there is so great. And I feel like that all comes from the top down. Well, I mean, listen, it, at Henzo Gracie Academy in Manhattan years ago, when I came up, that's how we were. We had a great time. That's where all my friends were. That's I didn't like really hang out with like my friends from high school anymore. I mean, I, that was my friends. That was my crowd. And this is what I feel as far as with the, the atmosphere at the academy. I feel, and I've said this before, and this this goes, this does, this transcends martial arts. I don't care what kind of business you're in. A pizzeria, a martial arts school, a yoga studio, I don't give a fuck. Atmosphere is is as important as any product that you got going on there. Like, you know what I mean? You could have the best jujitsu in town. If you walk in there and everybody's cocky, they're looking to hurt you, they, I'm not gonna, well, I wouldn't want to be there. Wouldn't want to put my kids there. You know what I mean? Um, I go the best slice in town. I go in there. The guy behind the counter is just a douchebag. You're not getting my business. Take that slice, shove it up your ass. I'll get Domino's before I eat your shit. You'll see me at the Olive Garden slurping their shitty linguine before I eat your <laughs> shit. So that's how I roll. Atmosphere is important. So you got to be able to get rid of some guy. Like if a guy's getting there with the wrong attitude, get him the fuck out of there. You know, and we got the ability to do that. Just, uh, you know, I just, I, I make sure because one guy with the wrong attitude could take just, just sour people's experiences. My biggest thing with my schools, and this is how I feel, uh, 
100%. This is how I feel in my heart. I am way more, and this does listen. If, if Aljo, I feel, is going to get the, be the next champ, I would, any of my other guys, get a title and myself with Longo, we contributed that. It's amazing and it's a beautiful thing and I'm happy to be a part of it. Having said that, I am way more concerned in general, as far as what my life mission here is to instill, like it, to empower, I should say, every guy's your size. There's guys I got with me. I'll say Chris Hansen is one of my technical blue belts. And where's he purple now? Anyway, he's blue. But I got these guys that are average ed people. It's more important for me to empower them in jujitsu. I picture if they were in my spot, the same spot as me, when I was in Vegas about to go to the Hall of Fame and I got approached by that drunk was there that that went fucking viral. This got me more students than my GSP fight. <laughs> For the people that don't know, if you type in Matt Serra versus drunk, it'll come up on YouTube, okay? Or it's on my Instagram, Matt Serra BJJ. I like <laughs> but anyway, you know, this drunk was in there. And now I listen, I'm not the tallest guy, but I don't look like a pussy. I'm powerful. I'm there with my family, my wife, my three young kids, my sister, her, child, her, her kid who's around 20. And like, you know, this drunk in there, was was rowdy. His his girlfriend passed out. I think started going after the waiters. I got up. He looked at me. He did not hesitate a second. The guy was around. He wasn't a huge guy. He wasn't a little guy. Average guy. He looked at me. You got a fucking problem? You? Come on. He takes his fucking shirt. Now look. My thing is this. If any, I am more concerned with having somebody in my like you. There, if you had your family there, if you had a family, uh, any one of my guys there with their family in that same position as me, I love empowering guys in that kind of situation. That guy did not give a fuck that my family was right there. If that guy, if I didn't have a fight and I got up to try to be the hero or just try to disfuse things to do the right thing, you know, I'm a comic book fan. I got my morals from there. I try to do the right thing when nobody's stepping up. This guy's about to go after my waiter. He's bringing me my check, my waiter. Little guy, smaller than us, feminine. Didn't he didn't want no problem. This guy, I don't like bullies. I, I get up, the guy directed it towards me. I don't look like a pussy. I don't. So for that guy to come after me in front of my family, we well, wouldn't come after you, Knuckles. He's not gonna come after half our guys. Fuck that guy. I like anybody, Knuckles. What I did to that guy, people looked at that because I ended up just taking him down. She gave him a little jujitsu lesson, told him to calm down. I didn't like. My heart rate didn't even go up, but I told my sister the second I got this guy down to tape it. I go, I go get your camera out, tape this. They, what, what the people missed was the audience was the audience was the people in the diner, the, the cafe at the Red Rock Casino there clapping. Everybody applauded because everybody wanted that to happen. I don't know where the fuck security was, and my sister taped it only because the second if you see it, and I want people to see it because it shows you. The power of jujitsu. I didn't have to strike. I could have ended that altercation with a right hand. I hit him. His head hits the floor. It has problems. I hit him. He's, my kids are there. It's, oh, you know, they were already upset because it's scary. But it's like a superpower. People watch that. They go, look at this guy controlling another grown man and, and talking to him like a baby. Tell him to calm down. It's a, but what they don't understand and what you do understand is it was, it was a drunk white belt. It's not a big deal at all. Knuckles. Maria Jose could have done the same thing. 
that's one of my, my what's our black belt or female black belt that's, uh, like, you know, not too big. Anybody in my school who's been training with me from six months to a year could have done that. Could if I if Nichols, if you were on top of a white belt go, do, going off on him, what am I going to say to you? Knuckles, what the fuck are you doing in class? Because it's it's a because it's not fair. So it's not, I I that's the power that you only jujitsu can give you. You could train more and listen, like I said, you could defend yourselves in other ways. I could have done anything I wanted to that guy, and that's what it really shown. But most importantly. I diffused the situation by controlling him. It didn't escalate after that. The guy didn't get hurt. Maybe his feelings if he saw that shit the next day or somebody. <laughs> but in the second it was over, the guy's telling me to, he went from, I'm going to fuck you up to I'm pressing charges. That's why I wanted the thing taped. But anybody who trains with me could do that. And that's what I love about teaching jujitsu is empowering people, especially weaker. If they, I put them in that same exact position I was in. Okay, they might not have had a Hall of Fame dinner the, the night after, but they were in a diner, Knuckles, is what I'm trying to get at. And that guy started with me, and I look like a little Rottweiler. He would have started with the majority of anybody of the people out there. So it's a drunk white belt at the end of the day. It's not a big deal. Anybody in my, in my, anybody with a blue belt or less, a, little, a white belt four stripes could have done what I did. And they don't have to be a UFC caliber fighter to do that. So that's what I love about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I will, I'm happy that happened to me in hindsight because I think that's going to influence a lot of people from years to come. You know, There was even memes of what happened with, with George Floyd, the one who got died, died and then with the cop, of showing, look, this is how an idiot controls somebody because he has kneeling on his neck. And then they showed me mounted on the guy. I didn't make up this meme, but I admit, hey, this is how a controlled expert or whatever, a martial artist controls the situation. And has a guy with no handcuffs on. And now this is how an idiot controls the person. So it's like, jujitsu is so essential. So essential. Tell that to the Blasio and Cuomo, those assholes. <laughs> but go ahead. Keep, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think it's one of the, the best skills somebody could take. And anytime anybody asks me, hey, my, you know, my kid or somebody wants to get into something, what do you think they should do? I'm always saying jujitsu for that exact reason. And I, I do feel, I was just having this conversation yesterday that, you know, boxing and rolling on a high level like that, it relays into real life situations that when you, your adrenaline starts to go and now you've learned how to stay calm, you're able to diffuse those real life situations, which I feel like a lot of law enforcement guys that really have never been in a fight, never been in a confrontation, never had to do anything. That's where these things get out of control because they're not properly trained on how to diffuse situations because they don't have any confidence in being able to handle the situation or handle themselves. And it comes out in all these crazy ways. So I, I just, it blows my mind that there's people that are in those positions that aren't forced to take jujitsu for at least a few years. Because even like you said, white belt to blue belt. I remember when I first started and the blue belt crew on top of me, which couldn't have been training for more than a year, year and a half, was like Pooley, uh, Marcus, um, Peabody, um, Fireman Anthony. And I was like, nobody can beat these guys up. They're amazing. And they were blue belts, you know? So yeah. then you look at, Black belts, it's just, it's a crazy, crazy food chain. Yeah, it's just a beautiful thing, man, jiu-jitsu, because, you know, you get these same guys, you put them in like a boxing gym or Muay Thai, yeah, they'll be dangerous. But jiu-jitsu is something, is something different. You don't have to be athletic. Jason Rao's my most dangerous guy as far as taking limbs right now. Is he that, how big is he? You don't look that, he's a guy that you see him somewhere, you're not going to be, uh, he's not a little guy, but he's not very intimidating looking. You know, hey, you know, he's always, hey, how you doing? <laughs> nice guy, looking up. Nice guy. That guy will take a whole room's legs off. 
or yeah. arms off or whatever. Shout out to Jason Rao. Love Speaking that. of Jason Rao, um, that actually yes. leads me to another thing I wanted to talk to you about because I remember when I was training, I was training before Jason and it was yeah. crazy to watch him just there every day and he's doing his sit outs on the medicine ball and people are giggling at him. And then, you know, you always hear that drillers, drillers make killers. But I remember uh, when I signed up, I just found the receipt. I think I texted it to you for when I signed up at your gym. Yeah. And uh, I went in and I filled out the paperwork with Benny at the time. And I remember they were telling me, I think at the time, maybe Kenny Florian was fighting in the ultimate fighter. It was like right around that time. And somebody was like, man, there is nothing cooler than taking a nerd and making him a straight up killer. Oh, and then yeah, I, man. I always think about that with Jason Rao and how he just put the time in and he put the work in to yeah. get as good as he is. But then Longo will tell me stories about you. And he's like, man, you think it's tough coming out now under Matt? He's like, imagine trying to come up the ranks at Henzo's competitive with Matt. He's like, he would literally be doing shrimps up and down the mat a hundred times a day. Yeah. Like, he did all those things. And for people who don't know, you know, I travel all over the country training at jiu-jitsu schools and everywhere I go, everybody has so much respect for you. You know, you're, oh, you're literally nice. a legend in jiu-jitsu and guys that roll with you, they don't, the guys that don't train don't understand that there's black belts and then there's like black belts. And then there's Matt Sarah, like the level of rolling, the way that you are and the talent that you have, I don't think people that have not trained with you understand the difference in how high level and amazing you actually are at jujitsu. And you play with us and you're literally just killing black belts off the couch. Um, did that come from like years and years and years? Is the same thing? Are you just putting in the time to get, how did you get so good at jujitsu? Well, listen, the more time, the better. Like I tell some of the guys that are just coming down like the train, and they're like, oh, how many days a week? I go, look, three days a week or more, you're going to improve. The more, the better. You can't get too much. You can always take some time off if you feel burnt. But I lived on the mat every day. You know, even when I told you that one day a week, three days a week, I got mats in my garage. I was doing stuff in my garage. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, two days a week, yeah, it's not bad. One day a week is just you don't fall to shit. That's all it is. So the more days a week, the better. And, and the more time on the mat, the better. But also, like right now, like I love jujitsu where it's it's the only way I like to train. Because then afterwards I'll do, after I roll, like right now, like soon actually, like in like 20 minutes, I got to get out of here. I got to go do a, pro I'm gonna do a private for Abe and Pat nice. DeFranco. You I'll know? tell him I said what's up. Yeah, two of my high level guys. And, uh, and, and that's no gi, even though I prefer to roll with gi now. But. I'm going to, you know, I we do like a half an hour technique with those guys and I'm, we're rolling, you know, it keeps me young. It keeps me sharp. I have not sparred a day since I got done fighting at 36 years old. 10 years, since the last 10 years, I haven't sparred a day since my last fight with Chris Lytle in, uh, in, uh, Indiana, uh, you know, but you know, I roll still four days a week. I'm on the mat five, at least six. Sometimes I taught this morning. I'm going back now. It's what allegedly. I like. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> Don't tell fucking Cuomo. But uh, meanwhile, the other guy, his brother's got his girl, his wife's at a yoga studio with a mask off that Chris Cuomo, the Fredo guy. Anyway, uh, I don't like to get political. I just get irked. I get irked when people are trying to fuck with me when I'm just trying to make a living. But anyway, I listen. I, I enjoy it. I like now, I, like I said, the gee. I prefer the gi now, and it's not, I'm not a big worm guard, barambolo guy. I'm a very fundamentally based um, jiu-jitsu man. I, I, I mean, I'm going to do the same thing with or without the gi, 
the gi does take away the legs a little more. Like if guys are attacking like the legs, it's more easy to control. Like I think there's a reason why Gordon Ryan, who's the best now without the gi, probably doesn't put the gi on because it's not the same thing. There's ways guys could not only stall, but they could also take away a lot of the legs, which I feel, which is good at my age because I can take away those fucking leg locks. <laughs> and I'm not, not nothing against them. I love it all. But at this stage, at 46 years old, I could roll, get good rolls in. I have the gi on. And the only thing that changes when I have the gi on, one is a little more friction. Well, a few things. Two, I told you, you could take away those legs a little bit better. And uh, what was the third one I was What did I say first? Friction. What's that? Friction. The friction, take away the legs, slows down the game. You have to address the, uh, these grips that you have to address. But the only thing I did different is, I, you know, I'm using it as a jacket. Someone attacks me with a North Face. It's the same fucking thing. I'm going to strangle him with my bread cutter. I'm going to get his back. I'm going to strangle him. I like those grips. It makes my forearms feel like that. And I like to strangle guys with that, with their jackets. That's all it is to me. It's a jacket or it's a resistance tool. Even for my guys that are fighting MMA, put that, put that on any offseason. Do you know why? Because you're fucking explosive and you're a wrestler. Guys can't keep you down unless it's a better wrestler. So if you, if you have that mentality, I'm not going to stay down. No one's keeping you down. Now you got the gear. Now you're forced to stay down there. With guys who you're even a better wrestler than because of these grips. So you're developing your arm locks, your triangles, your platas, your up and overs, your butterfly guard, you're coming underneath. You're not going to develop that if you don't put the gi on, if you, if, unless somebody's forcing you to stay down there. So anyway, I can get into that all day long, but the gi definitely has, it's, it's not just for, all right, I'm going to be a sport fighter or I'm going to be an MMA. No, it's a training tool. You're putting the gi on the gi top. You're trying to pass a guy's guard. You're going this way. Oh, now he's got his arm in, in, hand in your sleeve, threatening a choke. It forces you to come up with different ways. Now, you know what I'm saying? Different obstacles to get past. It opens up your mind more. And then when you're, and then on bottom, like for the reasons I was just stating, keeps you down. You take it off your fucking flying. You follow me? Use it as a resistance tool. Don't even, you know, you're rolling with a rope around your neck now. You follow me? Like people look at all different ways to get better and you know, oh, I'm running on a fucking treadmill with a fucking snorkel. And they go, <laughs> fuck yourself. Great. Yeah, it's good. It takes some oxygen. You got that gi on, man. You're standing up. Guys are trying to manipulate your balance. So many different. Now it's all now. They're manipulating your balance with handles. All these different handles. And you get that statue-like posture that develops from the gi. So, you know, I'll go on for that for fucking hours. No, I love yeah. it. And I think, uh, you know, I, I've heard you talk a lot. You talk to me a lot about the way that jujitsu is now. And you know, guys are new and they're just jumping for leg locks. And you're like, they don't understand that. Yeah, Jason Rouse taking everybody's legs, but he's passed 100,000 guards. He's done 100,000 yeah. mountain escapes. Like, you have to come to that. And I've always appreciated that the style of jiu-jitsu that you've taught has been effective for self-defense, not just for sport jiu-jitsu. And that's why when I started doing MMA, I found that it was really helpful because it was, it was things that could keep me safe that I was always like, man, I remember you would always make us get tired and then we would have to go back and do elbow escapes. And at first I was like, why the hell are we doing all these elbow escapes? And then as soon as I started sparring and some dude mounted me and hit me and I, I pulled back into, and I was like, holy shit, thank God I knew how to do that. And like, just get back to a neutral position. You know, and, um, you know, Mark Turner, BJJ Labs always been really good to me. He always tells me to make sure I tell you how good he's being to nice. me, but he made me start putting on the gi too. And I was like, I got to start doing it. Cause Matt's always like, dude, put the yeah. gi on, put the gi on. It could be a little, like you feel like you're, man, these guys are controlling me more, but nah, man, you just have to learn how to break the grips and, even when guys work you like a puppet, they grab in your sleeve. Like if you don't know how to come towards that pinky and go to cover the knuckles, 
Now he's trying to hold on to you. It's hurt. Some guys have such, they have such good spider guard grips and whatnot. They get a grip in your their sleeves. You shouldn't be worked like a puppet. You come right around when somebody's holding you. You come around that pinky like you're covering the knuckles. I had guys tap out because their fingers get caught. Ah! So you learn how to get past these obstacles and past the knee line, inch your way. There should still, even in submission grappling, a lot now there's a lot of different rules. And it shouldn't just, it, not, I shouldn't say that. But if you want to be realistic, I always looked at stuff with the IBJJF um, rule set. Not that it's not that it's superior to the guy like with these guys who like the the the, the no uh, time limit, no points type of thing. I love it all. But if you think of the mindset, I'm not. Yes, there's ways to manipulate that system, and sometimes the better guy doesn't win because there's a, a a point, and then the guy stalls. And I understand all that. But for a mindset, if you keep that as as your as your goal, okay, this is my rule of I'm going to be looking to. If you think of that mindset, it'll carry. It could transcend from tournaments to Abu Dhabi uh, jujitsu tournaments to to MMA. It took me the whole. It took me across the whole board with that mentality. And the mentality is this: when they originally started jujitsu tournaments back in the day. What's the best? All right. How was the point system? Everything was better for a street fight. That's what it was. Two points for a takedown. The superior position, I passed the legs. The guard, you know, the guy can still be dangerous. Passing the legs, passing that guard, cross side. There's still some things, reversals, maybe a submission here and there. But for the most part, I'm dominating you cross side. I can finish this fight now, or I could even improve the mount. Now, mount, I'm working your ass over, and I'm staying there. And I'm going to improve to get to the back. So you get more points for the better positions for the fight. Points for the passing the guard, clearing the legs, because that's better for a fight. The best places in the fight are in the back with both hooks. Mounted uh, uh, mounted is four points. Back, both hooks, four points. More points are awarded for the better position for a fight. You're on bottom. You reverse to get on top. Awesome. Now you're in a better position. You get reversed again. Huh? You shouldn't be down there. Now you're getting points. Take it away uh, on you. So. It's, it's a great mentality for a fight. You don't want to give up. I don't want to get swept. I don't want to be on top just to be on bottom. Yes, the fight continues. Yes, I have a guard, but I was just on top. I was winning. And so now with these other tournaments, guys are like, I look, I don't want to get mounted, no gi, because they get a little space there on my legs. These guys are killers with the legs. And so they're super tight on top. And guys are even avoiding mount now sometimes because they're like, all right, fuck that. He gets, no, you got to get on there. You get an Aljo Sterling mount, a Hicks and Gracie mount. Get on that shit now that you because now, especially you had one punch, all this comes up a little bit. So if you don't, you have to be, if you're a fighter, and even for self-defense, positional training has to still be there. There's there's you shouldn't just be like, ah, oh, I'm better off just you can't just sit there in the fucking Indian stance. What if what do you what's the politically name, correct name for your fucking sitting down with your fucking knee? You know, sitting down in the fucking it's all good because you got the legs inside, the arms inside, but like. Somebody could just smack you. So it's like the managing the distance. That's a very, uh, a, you know, with Henner Gracie, Torrance Gracie type thing that you might be, that, that'll stand out when you hear me say distance management and stuff like that. That stuff's fucking important for a fight. But on the flip side, I'm not hating on the new stuff whatsoever. Ryan Hall, Gary Tonin, they're pulling it off. They're pulling it off on jujitsu guys. Ryan Hall, uh, leg locking, uh, uh, attacking um, BJ's legs, 
uh, fucking beautiful. Rolled right into it, man. Like these guys. Uh, so don't, I'm not shitting on it. There's ways to incorporate it, but don't forget about the positional game. There's a reason why I, not a lot of jujitsu schools do it. I don't know anybody that really does. I don't know. I don't really go out and do the research. <laughs> but as far as my schools, until you get that fourth stride on your white belt, that geese staying on, I don't give a fuck. If you don't want to train with me, you don't have to. It's a reason. It's not a control thing. It's a reason that no geese more popular now. I'd probably do better if I just had no geek classes from the beginner up. I'm not doing it. They want to not see that gi again after the four stripes. Okay, you gave me close to a year with the gi on. Do what you like. Have fun. This is a happy place. But right now, I already got you with a solid foundation because you kept that fucking gi on. So there's a method to that madness, and I truly believe in it. There's no bigger fighter both in and out of the cage than Henzo Gracie. That guy's like me in a sense. He could be silly one second and take a limb off in the next. He totally believes in the gi. And he was, from day one, he was explaining how, you know, everything I'm saying to you. So don't think it's original. It came from Henzo. I love it. I love it. I know you got to go. I'll, I'll try to wrap this up for you so you can get to DeFranco. Hey, but um, looking for a fight and looking forward to a fight and the podcast. Um, I definitely Dana, White, Dana White looking forward to a fight is, uh, or looking for a fight. You type, type that in YouTube. That'll come up. That's always fun. I'm very happy about that. Uh, my, my, my podcast with Jimmy Norton is UFC unfiltered and that's fun. I love Jimmy. Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy became with Jimmy. It's funny. Like I did that podcast and I wasn't crazy about doing it. Like I said, I'm pretty content. I was camping with Dana white on the show we were doing, looking for a fight. Hey man, how would you like to do a pod, the pod UFC podcast? We're thinking about doing it. I wasn't really interested. I didn't want to complicate my life. I go, look, my life between my school the doing, you know, teaching jujitsu and now doing this show with you, which is successful, the, which I was doing with the looking for a fight. I go, I'm good. I don't, I don't know how to do radio or podcast. I don't know what the fuck this is. And then he brought up Jimmy and I go, I always liked Jimmy from the OB Anthony show when I did that. And uh, now I can't see myself not doing it like what we're doing here. Cause I, I, I love Jimmy Norton. He became one of my closest friends now. And uh, I didn't see that coming either. And that's great. <laughs> Love my Jimmy. And, uh, and we have a good time, man. I got three jobs to go along with my three kids, and I love all of it. So I can't complain, Nicky Knuckles. That's awesome. You know? I remember when I first saw the ad for it, because me and Sean Cooper were huge Jim Norton fans. We'd seen him a bunch. And I was like, yeah. they do a podcast together? It's like two of our favorite people coming together and doing something. It was cool. And, you know, you could tell you guys were feeling each other out a little bit at the beginning, and now it's just so authentic. You could tell you're enjoying it, just like you could tell you're enjoying your time with Dean Thomas traveling the world. and. Yes. Teaching jiu-jitsu, man. I actually, I pulled up the Sarah BJJ site today and I was just looking at the, the home screen. Is it up to date? I was like, How is it? What? <laughs> is it up to date? I got to get back on that shit. Well, the, 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 the first picture is just a bunch of black belts. And I was like, yeah. holy shit, man. Like Hulk smash, Jason, Madama, Billy Tats, you know, like the, the crew of people. I, just stop before you mention anybody that left. <laughs> I'm <only> kidding. <laughs> oh, shit. You named all good ones. Yeah. Listen, man. No, listen, I'm, listen, I always say I'm fortunate to be where I'm at. Not, listen, opportunities came. I jumped on those motherfuckers. That's all I can say when opportunities come. Try to seize the hell out of it. If it wasn't for some negative things in my life, uh, you know, at the time, like we said earlier, I lost the Carol Parisian. I believe you, if you weren't there for that, a lot of my students were. It was in Atlantic City. He was a judo player. First thing I said to my guys on the boardwalk afterwards, I was all beat up. 
I'm like, I hope you guys all don't join a judo school now, you pricks. <laughs> but anyway, listen, it le- I didn't know why it happened as far as fate was concerned. I just knew it sucked. My my wife, my future wife, my fiance, when her father was there, and fucking my students were there. And sometimes you're like, man, this was the worst possible thing. In a fight, I almost laid the guy out in the opening seconds. Got to show some cool escapes when I got tired in that fight. But uh, it led to good things. It led to the ultimate fighter, an opportunity, which was just an opportunity, which I milked the fuck out of. And (laughs) that opportunity led to an opportunity at the title, which I milked the shit out of. So listen, man, it's a wild ride, man. It's a trip. And uh, I'm happy to be uh, still doing all right. You know, still here on the A-Game podcast. I love it, man. Well, I love listening to your podcast and watching the show. I get to feel like I'm touching base with you when I'm running around. Uh, shout out to Jay Gershon, too. I know he's always training with you and giving me updates about how good you're yes. doing and stuff, man. Good guy. But uh, I appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. I want to thank you for the years of just great stuff on and off the mat, teaching me how to be a good person and a good jiu-jitsu guy and surrounding myself with good people with all the great personalities you've brought into your gym that have really helped me out over the years. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I know you're, uh, you're a busy times. guy. Good times, Knuckles. Go ahead, give me some clips of this after when you get any, and I'll help you promote it. Get you some more followers on here. <laughs> All right? Man. Hey, man, Knuckles, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Definitely, man. I appreciate it. All right, it. man. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming on. Later, man. Later brother. Take, it Take easy. care, bro.